0: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Roots of the Spirit podcast. As always, I would really appreciate it if you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, rate and review, go ahead and like and share on social media, and also become part of the Roots of the Spirit family by subscribing to our newsletter on Rootsofthespirit.com. I'm really excited to be back on the mic I've been out for a little over a year, but I have an amazing explanation. Many of you may be aware, but if you're not, last April 25th, 2021, I gave birth to my first child, my beautiful son, Nizami. So as you can imagine, there are many shifts and changes in my life, all magnificent. It's just been an honor and privilege to have a year to be with him and to take care of him and watch him grow from just a tiny baby who was about eight pounds when he was born to now pushing up on 23 pounds and just a ball of energy. Just amazing to see like uh, a miniature version of myself and my husband's self. (laughs) He's just incredible. So if you can't already tell, I am just in a state of excitement and bliss, but also many, many shifts. I don't move at the pace that I used to (laughs) or anywhere near that. And it's interesting because it's really, you know, something that has caused me to slow down despite how much resistance I put up. And despite how my mind and body is like, no, go, 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 it just doesn't work like that anymore. <laughs> and ironically, the topic of today's beautiful conversation with our magnificent guest, Dr. Tama, who I'll introduce you to shortly, is along the lines of being good to ourselves and embracing radical self-care and making our way home to ourselves so that we can uh, you know, mitigate the pressures from the outside world and the pull and weight that they have on our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. In kind of relation to what I was speaking about, you know, becoming a mother and everything that has come up as a result of becoming a mother, and the way that we're conditioned to keep going, going, going in this capitalist society, and also just the pressures I put on myself. You know, things have changed tremendously, and. Our conversation will look at, you know, how we can slow down, breathe and be better to ourselves and become comfortable in uncomfortable situations and and put up boundaries and really create a safe container for ourselves where we are really compassionate and caring also at the heart of the conversation is how does racism play a role in that us being detached from ourselves and as Dr. Tama has named and framed it being psychologically homeless it's an unbelievable conversation trust me and I'm so excited you're going to be able to share in this moment and in this journey Today's episode is also very exciting because it kicks off season two of the Roots of the Spirit podcast and the theme of season two is and wellness for all. This season, we'll be looking at the roots of systemic racism, which is infused into science, psychology, medicine, and various other health and wellness disciplines and institutions and ideologies. So through conversations with subject matter experts, including holistic practitioners, we'll be looking at reclaiming ourselves, you know, through our connection to our ancestors, and the inner wisdom and medicine that lives within us. And also looking at What are some of the modalities? What are some of the practices and some of the resources that we can seek to come home to ourselves, to practice radical self-care and to create wholeness and well-being within ourselves? So I'm so excited about this season. Season two coincides with the inaugural launch of the Roots of the Spirit Healing and Joy Retreat for Black, Indigenous and Women of Color which is a wonderful initiative that we're launching. It's a four-day retreat in the majestic Catskill Mountains in upstate New York, taking place June 23rd through 26th, where we will gather together uh, 10 women plus amazing, passionate, and experienced facilitators To look at what I mentioned before, like our ancestral connections, what already lives within us that we can come home to reclaim and cultivate into our present lives. We're also going to acknowledge, you know, that systemic racism plays a role in our lives and how it has impacted us intergenerationally, but also like that trauma that lives in our body and examining that and looking at ways that we can move through that and, That we can move through that and become our whole selves, you know, whether it is looking at resources in terms of different therapies and or breath work, yoga, meditation, different things that we can equip ourselves with that we have, you know, within our grasp to continue or embark on these healing journeys Because we can all use some healing. So it has been my dream for a very long time to launch the Healing and Joy Retreat. The first retreat was actually supposed to be 2020, but we all know that was not possible and why it wasn't possible during COVID. We still have a couple spots left for the retreat. So I encourage you to log on to Roots of the Spirit, which is rootsofthespirit.com. And click on Healing and Joy Retreat, and you'll find out all about the amazing things that we'll be doing. But just to give you a few highlights, we will be eating fresh farm-to-table food with local farms. We're going to visit East Branch Farms, which is a beautiful farm founded and operated by Madeline Warren, who is an amazing farmer. She's going to treat us to a picnic on her field with vegetables straight from their garden. We're going to do yoga on a mountain at Placidil Mountain, yoga and meditation actually. We're going to take a ski lift up and experience these beautiful sessions with the vastness and lushness of the Catskill Mountains. We're going to be visiting a an herbal farm by the amazing Kendra Payne, who is the founder of The Herbal Scoop, who, interestingly enough, will be a guest on the Roots of the Spirit podcast coming up. And we are going to do racial healing circles. There will be a workshop on creating a healing narrative for ourselves, lateral liberation, and also a beautiful cacao ceremony where we will journey together to open our hearts and be receptive to this experience. And then we'll all leave home rejuvenated and refreshed and also equipped with new resources and tools that we can use to continue on this healing journey. Incredibly excited about the retreat. We also launched a GoFundMe. The ultimate dream is that every woman who comes on the trip could be provided a scholarship to attend. So I have a very lofty goal of raising $32,000. I'm really excited. We are at the $5,000 mark at this moment, which is all thanks to our amazing donors who have contributed so generously up to this point. I humbly appeal to you to contribute to the GoFundMe so that I can sponsor as many women who need this experience or who would like this experience to join us. Find more information at rootsofthespirit.com. As you can imagine, after being away for a year, I have so much in me, so many thoughts to share, so many insights, so, so, so much. However, in the essence of time, I'm going to save quite a bit of that for an upcoming solo episode. Stay tuned. But in the meantime, it is an absolute honor, privilege, and just I'm so overjoyed at the conversation you're about to hear with the extraordinary Dr. Tama. I've been an admirer of her work for quite a few years at this point, so it was literally a dream come true to have the opportunity to interview her. Without further ado, Dr. Tama is the incoming president elect of the American Psychological Association. Dr. Tama completed her doctorate in clinical psychology at Duke University and her postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical Center's Victims of Violence program. She is currently a tenured professor of psychology in the Graduate School of Education and Psychology at Pepperdine University, where she directs the Culture and Trauma Research Laboratory. Her clinical and research interests center on interpersonal trauma and the societal trauma of oppression. Also, having earned a Master's of Divinity, Dr. Tama is an ordained elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Dr. Tama is the host of the Homecoming podcast, a mental health podcast to facilitate your journey home to your authentic self. And with that, let's dive into the episode. Welcome to the Roots of the Spirit podcast. I'm your host, Spirit Tafiq. My mother, Minnie Jean, became a symbol of the civil rights movement at age 15 when she and eight other black students tried to desegregate Central High School as a violent mob of segregationists raged outside. As the civil rights movement grew, she met my father, a white man, and the two married during a time when interracial marriage was illegal. Being the daughter of civil rights activists who fled to Canada and raised me and my five siblings on a farm in the wilderness, well, it's complicated. Join me in inspiring guests for honest conversations about identity, race, and racism. Welcome to Roots of the Spirit. Dr. Tama, thank you so much for joining me on the Roots of the Spirit podcast. It's an incredible honor to have you on the show.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here and appreciative of the work that you're doing.
0: Thank you. Just to give you a bit of context, uh, the Roots of the Spirit podcast is a platform to have honest conversations about identity, race, and racism. And it is my hope that when we truthfully look at our interconnected past, we are able to become empowered to do our part to uproot racism in various ways. So I am honored to have you. You've done tremendous work in this area. So, really excited to dive into our conversation. And I'm especially grateful because we're kicking off season two of the podcast and our theme is and wellness for all. Mm, I love that. Thank you. And in light of mental health awareness month, that's also another wonderful layer to add to our conversation. You have done so much work around examining systemic racism and how that impacts our minds, bodies, and souls. And also yeah. what I love is how you bring the resilience, the strength, and the power within us also along to discuss and you know dismantle and look at trauma in that way. So to start off, I want to say congratulations on the release of your new book, Homecoming, Overcoming Fear and Trauma to Reclaim Your Whole Authentic Self.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so glad that you have dedicated this space to looking at the dismantling of racism and then your title really addressing it spiritually as well, holistically. I think it is so critical. Thank you. So
0: I've had the opportunity to read your beautiful, powerful book. And I love stories. One of the ways that I do my part to uproot racism is through storytelling. And at the very beginning of the book, there's a beautiful story that you tell about your upbringing. And I really resonated with something you said about at a very early age, you had experience with a crisis hotline in your home. Would you be so kind to share that awesome
1: story? Yes, absolutely. And so when people often ask when I started psychology, I really point to my childhood growing up. Uh, I was a or am still he's retired now, but I was a pastor's daughter, and so in the black community in Baltimore, when people were in crisis, they didn't call uh, a random hotline. they did not call a therapist. Uh, they called their pastor and so that meant all times of day or night uh, we would receive calls and when people uh, when a person is in distress, they're not concerned about who answers the phone. It's like whoever answered, they're gonna get it. They're gonna hear the fullness of my narrative. And so uh, I have always been growing up, I would be called sensitive, right? And so I feel things very deeply. And so even though uh, my brother was two years older than me, if he answered and someone was crying, he would hand me the phone. (laughs) So I just have always been, some people say an old soul, a compassionate soul, uh, someone who appreciates the gift of bearing witness and then offering what I can in terms of support and encouragement. And so that started uh, very early before I even knew the word psychology. And that is really the beginning of my journey of being a healing listener.
0: Wow, that's beautiful, a healing listener. Was that the first time that you thought, hmm, perhaps this could be something that I spend my life's work doing?
1: Right. It really evolved. I have always wanted to uh, help and to support people. Uh, One of the funny things that has come full circle for me is uh, remembering in preschool when I was asked, you know, well, the whole class was asked what we wanted to be when we grow up. And when it was my turn to speak, I said, I want to be a house for the homeless. And the teacher kind of laughed and she said, Uh, people can't be houses, you have to pick something else. And so it's interesting to come full circle as people discuss really therapy as holding space, and really believing uh, that's what my, my work is, is holding space for people to be comfortable and comforted, and also for them to find that home within themselves.
0: That's beautiful. Speaking of home, Homecoming. Can you describe what is a homecoming?
1: Yes. Homecoming is healing. It is an invitation to return to the truth of who we are. So stress and trauma disconnect us from ourselves. They cause us to lose ourselves in despair, in powerlessness, in people pleasing. And so to come home is to shed the shame to release the script of all the shoulds we're told that we have to follow in order to be acceptable, in order to be safe, in order to be loved, in order to be respected. And to then from that place, do the radically dangerous thing of telling myself the truth. We often talk about telling lies to other people, but to tell others the truth, I have to first tell it to myself. And so to come home, is to be comfortable in the skin that I am, that I am in, to accept myself fully, and then to live from that self-acceptance and self-compassion uh, so that when I'm at home, I'm free, right? You think about like when, if you have a, a safe home, if you have a comfortable home, right, that you can kick off your shoes, you don't have to worry about what other people think, you can be yourself. And so what it means to then live in that place so that I am not just at home when I am in these four walls or I'm not just at home when I'm by myself, but to carry that with me everywhere I go, you know, that liberation is, as you say, for all, right, for all people to make that available.
0: Wow. We'll be right back. Season two of the Roots of the Spirit podcast is brought to you by the Roots of the Spirit Healing and Joy Retreat for Black, Indigenous, and women of color, June 23rd through 26th in the majestic Catskill Mountains. With our birthright to wellness and healing in mind, we've created a safe space for us to deepen our connection to the earth and our ancestors, embrace radical self-love and compassion, reconnect with our inner wisdom and power, rest, recharge, and experience joy and sacred connections with other powerful black, indigenous, and women of color. For more information, check out rootsofthespirit.com. The question I have, you know, one of the terms that you use in your book is homelessness. And then also you mentioned that self-awareness piece. How does one begin to acknowledge that they are uh, homeless um, in this Mm -hmm. uh, manner of speaking? Psychological, yeah. I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it because I think in analogies, and it's just such a powerful visual and then also, you know, how does one go from acknowledging that to taking steps? And I know your book outlines, so I would love for you to share that journey to, to the very beginning of that acknowledgement to moving forward.
1: Yeah, so important. Uh, so it is, you know, psychologically thinking about it that I can physically be in a space, you know, in a, in a home in a city, in a state, on a job, in a community, and still miss myself. So one of the things I share in the book is, can we tell ourselves the truth? I miss me, right? There are moments in our lives where reality shows up and we realize uh, that we've been living as something we are not, right? That we have been wandering Looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for affirmation and validation from people and institutions uh, that we have been uh, ungrounded and unrooted, uh, kind of blowing in the wind. So like when my day can easily be shifted, if if somebody says a compliment, now it's a great day. If somebody looks at me funny, now the day is ruined, right? So then I have no rooting, no grounding within myself. And so, you know, how do you know you're in need of a homecoming? How do you know uh, that you are psychologically homeless is uh, do you even know what you feel? Do you know what you think? Right. When, when our answer is always, I don't know or I don't care or it doesn't matter. That's not an answer from a place of home. Um, if I am making decisions that are fear based and shame based then the wound is leading me, uh, I am not at home. If I am sabotaging myself, standing on my own wings, uh, speaking negatively about myself to myself and to others, uh, when I am accepting things that are unacceptable, I am not at home, right? When anything goes, when I have no standard, I am not at home. And so when we recognize those things in, our, in ourselves, It's not to condemn ourselves, but it's a wake-up call of, you know, I have been living this way, and then you want to try to uh, connect the dots of how did this happen, right? So that I can have compassion for myself. Why have I been doing this? You know, Maybe because I didn't feel safe. Maybe because growing up I had to take care of everyone else. Maybe because I was given the message that my needs or thoughts didn't matter, and so I learned to put everybody else ahead of myself. And so uh, identifying what were the things that uh, disconnected you from you. And for most people, it's more than one, right? Because over the course of your life, there may be some during childhood, some as a teenager, some as a a young adult, some in your middle age. And we have people on the homecoming journey in their senior years. That is not too late, right? I'm ready to come home to myself. And so I recognize the points of disconnection. I recognize the symptoms and signs that I have been floating through life where things that are happening to me, but I don't have agency. I don't have a sense of empowerment. I don't own my own voice, right? Then I want to reconnect to that. And we start that journey home by telling ourselves the truth. And a part of that then is emotional intelligence. Can I identify my own feelings? because sometimes we're in denial and we're like, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fabulous. I'm blessed. I'm amazing. (laughs) And uh, many times that is a script. And also I want to say you can feel more than one thing at the same time. So you might genuinely feel blessed and also worried. You may feel blessed and also disappointed in some areas of your life. And so giving ourselves permission to tell ourselves the full truth Is the beginning of the journey home.
0: That's incredible. I can relate to many of the things that you described and you talk about in your book. And as I mentioned offline before we officially began, I started listening to your podcast a few years ago, and I found so many gems and tools to help me with that acknowledgement piece. And then also really tangible tools and resources to then um, begin the journey home. So that is incredible. Because you've done so much work around racism and racial trauma, I'd like to hear your thoughts on psychological homelessness layered with 400-plus years of a legacy of enslavement, colonialization, white supremacy, patriarchy, you know, these very heavy yeah. ideologies that permeate our society. Yes. What, how does that play into the journey home and also psychological homelessness?
1: Yes. So uh, racism and other forms of oppression, they lie. They lie to us about ourselves. They lie to us about our history. They lie to us about our worthiness. They lie to us about our beauty. They lie to us about our intelligence. They lie to us about our morals and values. And so when we have uh, been targeted by racism in all of its diverse forms, we can have what we call internalized racism. So internalized racism is when you come to believe the lies you've been told about your own heritage, about your own identity and about your own community. So if I believe all of the messages that are promoted about black people or about indigenous people, about Asian American people, about Latinos, if I believe those things and I am a part of that group, it will disrupt my grounding and cause me to feel shame about myself Right to feel that I don't belong, to feel that I am unworthy, uh, to feel that people are doing me a favor by "quote unquote" giving me a seat at the table. So it disrupts and dismantles our identity and our our confidence, uh, not only symbolically or psychologically, but materially. Right when we think about, we study the histories of, of. various communities of color, often our culture was banned. Our tradition, our language, our dance, our song was not allowed because those are powerful, right? Those are sources of medicine and strength and and they are undeniable, right? And so when people are seeking to oppress you, they want to demonize and pathologize your culture to, to convince you that you are quote unquote uncivilized and in need of them to tell you how to live, right? And so uh, a part of then our psychological homelessness is as a result of oppression, as a result of colonization and neocolonialism, racism and sexism and heterosexism. All of those are intentional systems. These are not by accident. It's not a fluke. Right. They are designed to disempower and disenfranchise, because if I can keep you insecure, then I can monopolize both your labor and your resources and and make you say thank you. <laughs> so uh, we really do have to come home to ourselves, not only psychologically, but culturally uh, that and politically and economically. So it is holistic oppression, including racism. It attacks us uh, in every area of our lives. So racism affects housing. It affects diet. It affects physical health. It affects our experience in the criminal justice system. It affects our experience in the education system. And so to, to disrupt those It requires addressing every discipline, right, every system uh, to unlearn and to relearn so that I can come home to myself and be comfortable with my features in my body, with my hair, dressing the way I want to dress, speaking the way that I speak, uh, showing up fully, not feeling I have to be disguised to be acceptable and acceptable to who? That my acceptance of myself and to my community is uh, primary before what other groups think about me. And so that uh, that requires a place of liberation, of safety, of the right to show up, because we have not always even had the right to show up, which is why now even in 2022, people are still advocating for the Crown Act. For Black women to be able to wear our hair the way we want to wear our hair without discrimination. And so, uh, that, you know, many times when people hear racism, they're thinking this is all historical and like, oh, a long time ago, and why won't you let these things go? They were so long ago. But we have the intergenerational transmission of trauma, which some call ancestral wounds. And we also have the contemporary reality. That people are still having to fight these battles and navigate these toxic spaces. And so it is designed to get us off track very early. You know, when we think about elementary school and covering the walls with the great inventors, and all of the inventors on the wall are cisgender white men, that is intentional, right? Uh, to give Children of color, the idea that you are here to serve, not to think. You are here to be a consumer, not a producer. So uh, it is uh, meant to disempower and to keep us wandering. And so to come home to ourselves is to own our voice, our culture, our power, our agency. And there are people who benefit from your disempowerment.
0: Wow, talk about powerful. I have chills. That is so, that's incredible. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. In honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, Roots of the Spirit is excited to partner with The Studio at Athleta Flatiron in New York City to present a radical self-care fundraising event on Sunday, May 22nd at 12 o'clock p.m. to raise scholarship funds for the Roots of the Spirit Healing and Joy Retreat, taking place in the majestic Catskill Mountains June 23rd through 26th. Noted meditation practitioner Shamir Courage of Loveworks 365 will lead a session of peaceful meditation, giving an in-spirit experience for the retreat. We launched a scholarship fundraiser to support our ability to offer scholarships to those who would otherwise be unable to attend. Access is extremely important in all of our work. We are proud to partner with the studio at Athleta Flatiron, whose mission to ignite the limitless potential of all women and girls is powerfully aligned with the Roots of the Spirit Healing and Joy Retreat. Attendees will get a discount offer to shop in the store during the event. If you're unable to attend the fundraiser but still like to contribute, please visit the show notes and click on our GoFundMe campaign link. Your contributions are greatly appreciated. What you have me thinking about is the narrative, the reality of racism, everything being deliberate, the way that young people are taught, um, Black, Indigenous, people of color, but also white children are taught, like the narrative that is pervasive and carries forward. So, you know, when you think about history and the uh, presence of Black people in the United States, it begins with the beginning of enslavement rather than what was going on before <laughs> enslavement, That's these rich, scientifically yes. advanced societies, engineers, right. philosophers, scientists, etc., yeah. And that being yeah. so empowering as a foundation versus the narrative uh-huh. that we do tell. That's um, right. And to your point about the medicine and the wisdom that we have within us that runs through, you know, we think about intergenerational trauma, but infused Mm -hmm. and threaded through your book is the intergenerational strength, survival, resilience, and power. Yes. So how do we get to the point where we can Uh influence policy and education systems to reconfigure the narrative to be empowering and like dismantle white supremacy and that narrative?
1: Yeah, I, I love your question and I love the setup because this is so important. I, I think what often uh, many, and I'll speak in this example, what many black people experience is people hold up the image of modern day African countries who are dealing with the realities of colonization And the impact of those, they hold those nations up and say, Look at them. They're a mess, right? They're war torn, they're hungry, they're disease stricken. Aren't you glad you're not there? Aren't you glad we took you from there and now you're in the lap of luxury? Aren't you grateful? And Black people who don't have an understanding of history will look at those images and say, Yeah, I'm glad I'm not there. Thank you and not recognizing what you are seeing is not uh, nations of people who could not develop, not nations of people who are just uh, ignorant and committed to being war-torn. What you are seeing is the impact and devastation of colonialism, of the rich resources from oil to diamonds uh, that were taken and continue to be taken, including labor, right? And so uh, to not go into this place of ignorant gratitude, of like, yes, this is where it, this is where I would be if it wasn't for this, this wonderful uh enslavement. Um then in terms of your question, you know, how do we disrupt it and dismantle it? Uh a difference between liberation psychology, decolonizing psychology, social justice-oriented psychology is to teach people uh, not just coping skills, uh, but what many of us call resistance skills, right? So when we are dealing with the devastation of racism, yes, it can be helpful to journal in the aftermath. It can be helpful to do some meditation. It can be helpful to go for a walk. You know those things are helpful as a self-care as we're dealing with like uh, toxic racist environments. But coping with oppression is not the end of our healing journey. That we we must resist. And so, looking at uh, the different forms of resistance and which resistance strategy a person chooses can depend on their personality. Can depend on environment, can depend on their financial circumstance, uh, you know, it can depend on a, n- a number of things. So I don't do a hierarchy on like this is real resistance and this isn't. Because racism is interdisciplinary and multifaceted, we need everybody to do all the different parts. So do the thing that speaks to you. So, for example, some people's thing is marching and protesting. And that can be quite effective. Some people are dismissive of that and say, you know, marching doesn't get us anywhere. Uh, I disagree. I think it definitely raises awareness. And they also did research um, this past year that showed uh, cities that had the most Black Lives Matter protests saw a statistically significant decline in police killings, right? So literally saving lives when people know you're watching right? It's like, we're watching you, we're paying attention. Uh, and so that does something. Some people will say, I'm not into uh, marching, but I'm running for office, or I'm advocating for policy, or I'm getting some uh, policy changes at my job, right? Uh, for some people, it shows up in their parenting, that I want to raise children that have a different mindset. For some people, it's what we call artivism using your art for activism, right? So in our poetry, in our music, in our dance, uh, for some people, it's boycott. So I hear about these companies that are not supportive to my community or communities I care about. I'm not going to buy their products. I'm going to encourage other people not to buy their products, right? Uh, For some people, it is how do we uh, support our own community businesses and uh, promote our wellspring of knowledge or creating our own organizations and institutions and school curriculum. And so uh, to think about the different ways we resist uh, to dismantle oppression and to know that the different ways that we're resisting can work together and that the resistance is not only about our activism and advocacy, uh, but as the NAT Bishop talks about, rest is also a radical act of resistance. Uh, love and compassion are radical acts of resistance. Our joy is a radical act of resistance that I am in a nation that has historically and in the present shown such hostility toward my community. And so in the midst of a protest march for me to break out in song and dance. Oh, (laughs) it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. It's so, you know, all of those different ways Uh, are how we resist.
0: That paints just such a beautiful picture because I'm thinking about the civil rights movement and these jails packed with young people and they're just singing at the top of their lungs and it's just driving the folks crazy.
1: (laughs) Yes and it's how we sustain ourselves because I want to say rage uh, and, and anger uh, can be a healthy response, right? It's healthy to be outraged about outrageous things. And at the same time, rage alone will not sustain us, right? You just can't, this is a, as as we say, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? So if I am just consumed by my rage and have no joy in my life, have no love in my life, it's gonna be very difficult for me to navigate this work. And so, uh, Yes, I'm outraged, and I also uh, have capacity to play with my children. I have the capacity to you know connect with sisters over lunch. I have uh the capacity to have some peace in my life, even in the midst of it all so uh our that is honoring our full humanity, and so for the full human experience, I can experience more than one emotion
0: That's beautiful. I'm loving everything about this conversation. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Production and marketing assistance for this podcast is provided by Power of Pod. It's one thing to start a podcast, but what about a podcast with a proven strategy for success? If you're looking for expert advice and guidance, a step-by-step action guide, and someone to keep your podcast on track, Power of Pod can help. Power of Pod helps ambitious podcasters create the podcasts they've dreamed of. More information about custom podcast launch packages at powerofpod.com. One of the things that stuck out to me in relation to homecoming is we're talking about racism and the dynamics of racism, and you speak about homecoming as somebody who comes from a legacy, having being the descendants of the oppressor and how our liberation is intertwined and so that white people need to have a a homecoming as well. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: So important. We often think about dismantling racism as doing a favor for minoritized people uh, and don't recognize the psychological cost of being the beneficiary, the psychological cost of living in fear of entire groups of people, the psychological cost Of holding that hostility that we see driving people to attack people in public that you don't even know, right? That is not well, right? When we see uh, people in those spaces, whether uh, aggressively attacking or being a silent beneficiary, that is not psychological or spiritual wellness. And so to come home to yourself is to remove uh, the blinders. Uh, to remove the ignorance and the fear and to actually live from a place of valuing humanity so that I cannot, I will not sit back in silence while this oppression is happening, right? To be able to say not on my watch versus saying, you know, it's not my fight or that's their thing or they're just stopping traffic or why are they so bitter or they have a chip on their shoulder, they're so angry, right? All of those excuses are to try to um, soothe guilt, guilt for being complicit, guilt for being silent, because to acknowledge the realities of racism will also require taking a, a look at some of the people you love. Love, perhaps some of the people who raised you right? When I recognize that this isn't right, then I have to think again about some of the comments that were made at the dinner table. I have to think again about how, you know, you may have been told as a white person, we respect everybody, but don't date them, right? We respect everybody, but don't bring them over here. Uh, we respect everybody, but there's a bunch of buts, but watch it because they don't have our, they're not our people. They don't have our values, yes. And so uh, to believe those things uh, means that you have also been psychologically harmed. And so uh, to come home to yourself is also to have to live with the truth of, am I okay with, am I consenting to racial injustice? And then what does that mean about me as a person, right? Or does it not sit right with me? And I have to come home to myself and start to tell the uncomfortable truth, which I recognize for many people is not easy, right? You know, I have students where I teach at Pepperdine University who, when as white people, they have spoken up or posted things that family members have turned against them. So uh, speaking up for truth and for justice, it will cost you, right? But being silent also has its costs.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. In terms of our collective psychological homelessness and our collective homecoming, maybe when I say collective, I guess we can kind of narrow it a little bit into you know, the United States. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yes, there there is definitely the societal piece and the systemic piece, which I think is so important as we think about racism in all of its forms, because often to dilute it or to make it more palatable, people are more comfortable with this language around bias, right? But the thing about this word bias is it implies individual attitudes, and we all have different attitudes, and so what people will say is, um, you know, nobody can help that. Like everyone has like these attitudes, and um, what people also say if they think about bias is they will say, um, if people don't like you, just avoid them. Right? This is what we tell kids, right? If somebody do not want to play with you, that's okay. You can go find some other friends. Right? <laughs> so uh, this term bias really dilutes the systemic, structural, societal, institutional realities of racism, that it is unavoidable. I can choose not to hang out with people who don't like me, but those same people decide about home loans. They decide about education. They decide about policies that affect my community. And so it is unavoidable, right? So that is why uh, the transformation does have to be collective and societal of us really determining what is acceptable and unacceptable here right and we see uh the the dogma that is taught uh that is promoted that is intended to silence right so to say if you talk about racism you're being divisive right if you talk about racism you're being negative you're, quote unquote, playing the race card. You know, it really is uh, brilliant gaslighting. Absolutely. Right? To oppress people and say, if you talk about it, you're the problem for talking about me mistreating you. And yes? we'll make
0: laws so, to make it so you're not yes. legally allowed to talk about it.
1: Yes. That, you know, even to, in this past year, the language of making people uncomfortable. If you If white people are uncomfortable, you have done something illegal. I mean, think about that, right? You're uncomfortable not with us making up fake stories, but us talking about U.S. history, right? That you are making me uncomfortable because you are telling the truth about our history. And for that, I'm going to penalize you. And so, yes, the collective homecoming, it needs to be um, a joint effort to shift the tide right? To shift the tide in, in all of these different domains and all of these different disciplines. And uh, slowly, but surely, and strategically, we are doing it, which is making people upset, right? That's why you have to push back. You make progress, you have to expect pushback because uh, people want uh, things to go back to the way they were. So you want to think about who are the people. That would want us to go back in time, <laughs> right? Not to pre-colonial times, but they're just talking about, you know, a couple decades ago. You know, who was living large a couple decades ago? That wants that to remain. And so, yes, we we have to think about on an individual level shifting hearts and minds, um, but simultaneously, because we can't just wait for that. Simultaneously, looking at shifting institutions and structures.
0: Speaking of institutions and structures, you are the president-elect of the American Psychological Association, which is absolutely remarkable. Um, Thank you. So amazing. I actually have to interject. My mother uh, my mother is Minnie Jean Brown Tricky, who is one of the Little Rock Nine uh, who desegregated Central High School in 1957, and I told her that I would have the honor of interviewing you, and she was so excited. Um, And she was like, tell her that Dr. Kenneth Clark was the president of the American Psychological <gasps> Association. Uh, so a long story short, uh, my mother desegregated Central High School. She was expelled yeah. and exiled from Arkansas for resisting. And Dr. Mm. Kenneth and Mamie Clark invited her to live with them in New York City and finish high school. So she lived with wow. the Clarks for a year. Um, Oh, I didn't know that. Amazing. Thank you so much. Wow. So she was really like she really felt the power of our conversation and kind of the full circle. So she's really, really proud of you as am I. So thank you.
1: Thank you. And I am uh, so blessed and honored by, by your mother's life and witness and then you as her fruit that you have the baton and are running with it. And so what a beautiful legacy.
0: Thank you so much. So Mm -hmm. I I just have a couple more questions. Um, In 2021, the American Psychological Association issued its very first apology to people of color for its role in promoting, perpetuating, and failing to challenge racism, racial discrimination, and human hierarchy in the United States. What are your thoughts about the discipline of psychology uh, in regards to that apology?
1: Yeah, uh, it is so important and insufficient. So both are true, right? Uh, so some people, I would say, you know, what was the need to apologize? And I think those are people who, you know, aren't informed about the the historical way and, you know, some could even argue the the modern day ways in which psychological science uh, was utilized to marginalize, to oppress, to demean, to dehumanize uh, communities of color, you know, in various research studies to talk about uh, our brains or to really use this kind of deficit model um, and going into communities and uh, really wreaking havoc with this idea that you know what's best for a community of which you are not a part. Um, And so I I think it was whenever you want to uh, shift, you know, we can just think about relationship-wise, if someone does not acknowledge what they have done, then it's very hard to even think about going forward, right? So I think the acknowledgement is important as, as a field. And uh, uh, for those who critique it, uh, who would say, you know, it's just words. Yes. And right. So that has to then be followed with action. So, you know, it's, again, we think interpersonally uh, when people say the best apology is changed behavior, right? So then looking at you know, what do we promote as standards, as guidelines in terms of uh, anti racism in our educational process, in our and how we approach research, in practice, in consultation, and in advocacy? Uh, that, you know, the behavior has to be there as well. And that uh, is a great example of how it has to be systemic and structural uh, because. I think, you know, the majority of psychologists, if you ask them, do you oppose racism, the majority would say yes, without question. But then if I asked a follow-up question of how does your opposition to racism show up in how you do therapy, people would stumble, right? Not because they may not feel sincere, but you have to look back then at your training. And a lot of people... Uh, We're not even trained to think in that way. It's more um, a cookie cutter approach of like, these are the symptoms of depression or symptoms of anxiety. And these are strategies that help those symptoms to decrease and not really attending to context. Um, And so, you know, when I have done trainings on this topic, you know, people who are advanced in the field will say things like, oh, it sounds like you all need a theory. The theory already exists. Right. Theories multiple exist, but they were not taught to you in your training program. Right. So that is, you know, the need to highlight and to disseminate uh, the work of uh, scholars from minoritized communities uh, who have done this work from a place of respect for their communities and from a, a strengths based approach and also actively and intentionally addressing the realities of oppression. Uh, so it's uh, I'm excited for this time uh, it's a, it's an important time for us to, to mobilize
0: I'm excited too <laughs> I'm very excited <laughs> it feels amazing to have you in this uh, extremely important role with all of the gifts and wisdom that you bring so this is wow, an exciting time you. for all of us we'll be right back Season 2 of the Roots of the Spirit podcast is brought to you by the Roots of the Spirit Healing and Joy Retreat for Black, Indigenous, and women of color, June 23rd through 26th in the majestic Catskill Mountains. With our birthright to wellness and healing in mind, we've created a safe space for us to deepen our connection to the earth and our ancestors, embrace radical self-love and compassion, reconnect with our inner wisdom and power, rest recharge and experience joy and sacred connections with other powerful black indigenous and women of color for more information check out rootsofthespirit.com um Mm-hmm. There's a profound lack of diversity among mental health professionals. Um, only 2% of psychiatrists and 4% of psychologists are Black. What yeah. I- are the systemic roots that result in these stark statistics? And what are mm-hmm. some of the, uh, your thoughts on moving forward in creating a, a representation that reflects the world that we live in?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, a big one is funding, you know, graduate school costs. And so many uh communities uh in in this country and and globally, I would say racism and poverty are inextricably linked, right? Racism and classism. And so often people who have the opportunity for higher education are looking for careers that, you know, maybe with the bachelor's you can like get to work and have some money for your family and money for yourself. And so the, you know, so the master's and doctoral degree are extra time and extra money. And so uh, looking structurally and institutionally about uh, tapping into resources and making more scholarships available uh, so that that is not such a barrier or A deterrent to people entering into the field, I think another piece of it is uh destigmatizing psychology so uh you know in part because of people's negative experiences like some people um, associate mental health professionals only as people who take children out of the home when you beat them right so if that's your only idea of what this role does that doesn't sound like something exciting you want to sign up for unless you know if you're trying to rescue children but you know that that narrow piece of it or that narrow representation uh, you know people can only choose careers they've heard of or they're familiar with or they have some reason to have high regard for. So that is the importance of uh, more psychologists like community psychologists uh, doing work in the community in schools and in faith-based institutions. Uh, Because once people are exposed to the work and can see it up close, then that's often many people's story of like what made them interested is, you know, they met a therapist, they met a psychologist, or they took a course by a fluke in college and fell in love with it. And so uh, this pushing back on the stigma and showing different representations of what it looks like to do the work can also help to bring more people in the field
0: wonderful it makes such a difference i personally yeah. i have family members it just makes such a huge difference representation um so thank you yes. for that um last but not least uh you provide an array of holistic wellness services from therapy to training workshops and i recently came across one of your workshops where you're infusing anti racism into therapy practices can you talk very broadly? I know we're wrapping up, but I would love for our guests to have an idea of your services and also where they can reach you.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share. So yes, my my private practice is full, so I'm not taking new clients and not adding clients to the wait list. Um, I would encourage people to look at websites like uh, APA's directory or inclusivetherapist.com, MelaninMentalHealth.com, TherapyForBlackGirls.com. Look at those directories and look at what people's area of expertise is. So consider like what is the major piece you want to work on and is this something that this person has some experience with? Uh, In terms of my uh, offerings, I have the podcast, which is called Homecoming. And we're up to 144 episodes. So they're all sitting there waiting for you. Uh, there are 30-minute episodes on all different topics. So it's on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Um, along with the book Homecoming, I also recently released a workbook called uh, The Anti-Racism Handbook, which I co-authored with my best friend, who's also a psychologist, Edith Arrington, So both of those are available uh, online, Homecoming and the Anti-Racism Handbook. And um, I'm currently working on uh, a documentary about Black mental health. And so, you know, documentaries take a minute. So when it is ready, I will definitely announce it in social media and then also on my website. And so my website is drtama.com and would love for you to keep up with me there or on Instagram, Twitter, And I just last month joined TikTok. So if you want to catch me there, I'm there as well.
0: That is incredible. Oh my goodness. I can't tell you how deeply moved and honored because as I mentioned at the top of the hour, your podcast, your work um, has played a huge role in my life personally. And I'm just so excited to amplify your great work and your magnificence so that we can collectively, individually uh, walk ourselves home. Thank Mm. you so much, Dr. Tama. I'm so grateful. Thank you for
1: having me. Many blessings to you and to your audience. As always, we'd appreciate if
0: you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Recommend this podcast to family and friends. Follow up with us on social media at Roots of the Spirit on all platforms. Visit our website and join our email list at rootsofthespirit.com. Also, you'll find links to the resources discussed in the episode in our show notes. Roots of the Spirit is hosted and directed by me, Spirit Tafiq. Production assistance is provided by Karen Stewart of Power of Pod. Until next time.